Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode features Nicole Davidson, an experienced negotiation consultant, mediator, and conflict resolution coach. In this episode, Nicole and I discuss the basics of getting better at negotiating, including how to solve conflicts when working with others, as well as the skills that are necessary to complement your negotiation strategy. Let's get into it. So hi, Nicole. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a real pleasure, Harry. Lovely to be here. No, it's great to finally have you. I know we've been talking for a little while about getting this going, um, and a lot has changed since we've been speaking with the whole coronavirus situation. Um, but I think the core tenets of what we're talking about today, negotiation, um, are going to be really useful to the world that lawyers practice in, really, in the business commercial sense. Um, but before we get too much into the nitty-gritty of negotiation, um, a nice little icebreaker question I like to ask people when they come on the show is, why did you originally want to join or work around the legal profession, and what's your sort of background to date to those who haven't heard of you? Yeah, great. Um, well, it's an interesting one because I have to say, and I'll come clean here, I actually never really wanted to join the legal profession. <laughs> um, I actually fell in love with bookkeeping back when I was doing year nine at school, and I had mm. this very strong desire to be an accountant. Um, by the time I got to the end of my second last year at uni, um, I discovered that, you know, I was, sorry, my second last year of school, um, I discovered that my grades were pretty good and I thought, you know what, there's a chance I might get into law school. So I went mm -hmm. for it and um, I got into law school, did law commerce. My original role as a graduate was actually with, with one of the big five accounting firms uh, working in their insolvency practice where it was a blend of um, a lot of legal s concepts involved, but looking at it more from a commercial perspective. Um, and I then went to one of our large national firms in Melbourne, um, mainly because I realised it was easier to become qualified as a lawyer than it was to do my professional year exams and become an accountant, which is a bit of a mm. bit of a strange career choice. But um, <laughs> what what I think I was hoping to do though in the law was really help people. And, you know, I've had this very circuitous um, professional background in that I was an insolvency practitioner, a lawyer. I left the law just after being admitted to practice um, and moved into investment banking. I realised investment banking was really not about helping people in the way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, I did a bit of recruitment for a while. Once again, I learned that that was a sales job, not a helping people role. Um, and I went back to insolvency for about three and a half years um, before being sent off on a leadership development program. And I thought, wow, what these people are doing, helping people work better in the workplace and be more productive and efficient is fantastic. So I redesigned my career in learning and development, um, eventually fell into a role where I was purely teaching negotiation skills at which point I found what I thought was the perfect blend of my legal background, my commercial background and my teaching background, um, helping people going back into the legal profession, but as a mediator to really help people resolve disputes commercially without the stress, the cost, the delays of litigation. Um, and so now I do that and I do a lot of teaching work, both with um, lawyers, um, in particular with graduate lawyers through the College of Law in Melbourne, um, but also with people out in industry. Wow, that's so incredible. A, a long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, I, I can totally see though how, you know, working in finance, working in legal, you've really done every tenant of <laughs> the commercial <laughs> world, um, which I guess reflects the fact that negotiation is present in all of those and outside of the commercial sphere as well, really. Absolutely. Um, so you've transitioned from all of these lessons that you've learned from 
um, practicing with different areas now to um, consult on the idea of negotiation. So um, in short, what do you think is the kind of negotiation 101? What are the real basics, I think, to a negotiation Um, and the kind of really common misconceptions that people probably have about what, what negotiation really is? Well, look, I think at a fundamental level, one of the biggest misconceptions that people seem to have is that negotiation is a battle, that it's an adversarial process. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people go into every negotiation they do with this kind of win-lose attitude. Um, I've got to keep information close to my chest. I can't let you know anything. You might use it against me. I've got to get as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, there are times where that adversarial approach and, and getting the most for yourself is relevant. But before you get there, um, you really need to think about how do I actually expand what we're negotiating about here? How do I actually collaborate and work with my negotiation counterpart so that we can do the best deal for both of us? Um, because often in that negotiation, you know, in that adversarial process, um, you'll get to this sort of compromise where neither party is 100% happy, um, mm. but actually working together can deliver much better results. No, really interesting. So I, I must admit, I always think that it was very adversarial as well. And it was only when I was getting into law school where we, we kind of had to practice negotiation firsthand. I realized that if everyone's adversarial, you're never going to end up with any kind of outcome that's going to that's going to work towards the parties, really. Yeah. And look, I think what's interesting is that, um, you know, I'm not sure about the law schools in the UK, but in Australia, mm-hmm. negotiation is still very much a an elective part of the law degree. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of graduates coming out of law school who have never had any negotiation training or if they did it was very very high level training so and you know I think there's still a lot of um, lawyers you know whether they're new lawyers or whether they've been in the profession a long time I think they've just watched too much um, you know depending on their age too much LA law or too much suits (laughs) or too much like that because um, you know they show that sort of glamorized adversarial negotiation and it's all very sexy when it's in a TV show but it's actually not productive for clients. No, absolutely. Um, I can admit, I, as such a student as well, watching those shows, I used to think it was all, all about that as well, really. So I think it's only really when you give it a go firsthand and you realise that um, most tactics just don't cut it in the real world compared to yeah. Hollywood, but uh, that's how it works. Um, as to your point on the UK system, by the way, it's still very much similar over here and there's a lot of kind of elective modules and elective kind of societies yeah. and things about how negotiation works, really. Um but it sounds like you're almost advocating that it, it should be a part of the curriculum and should be a, a fundamental tenant of, of how lawyers are taught and, and raised in the system. Really. Look, I absolutely believe, you know, to the extent there's a whole argument about whether lawyers, sh- whether universities should be teaching knowledge or skills. Um, but if you are looking for a law degree that is producing work ready lawyers, then, you know, for me, the two most critical skills that a lawyer has is their ability to negotiate and their mm. ability to write clearly. Um, and neither of those are taught well. In particular, if you look at writing, most people spend the first few years of their career learning to unlearn, uh, having to unlearn the way that they learnt to write in an academic mm. setting. So, um, I think negotiation is really critical. Yeah, for sure. And I guess if you're taking through all those misconceptions that we just touched on, the idea of being really showy in Hollywood and your style, that it can actually be quite damaging later on in a career. Um, in your experience, when you're talking to clients, what other kind of uh, misconceptions that they have outside of needing to be, say, adversarial or really kind of um, showman-like in their in their approach. Yeah, look, I think um, the other thing that gets in the way for a lot of people is trying to negotiate too quickly. 
Mm. Um, so often, you know, and, and once again, I think this is partly the function of the billable hour in the law profession as well is, you know, we want to get a solution for our client and we want to get that as quickly as possible and as cost effectively as possible. Mm -hmm. So we will go into a negotiation with a certain amount of information that our client has given us. Um, and the lawyer on the other side will have a certain amount of information um, and we're working to a solution. But if we haven't actually spent a little bit more time digging into that information, looking about are there holes in the information, are there things that are missing? Um, once again, you start to sort of come up with a solution that matches that sort of high level information that you've got but once you dig down there's actually a lot more scope for doing a broader more valuable deal between the parties or addressing some of what um, their interests are um, in a way that might be more powerful and once again it might depend on whether you're doing a front-end deal or a litigation deal but one of the things you know particularly if you're talking about um, you know personal injury type claims um, even things like defamation, um, you know, the idea of actually making an apology to the mm. other party, if you're the one that has been, um, had proceedings brought against you, the, the idea of actually just recognising the emotional interests that are at play in the negotiation rather than just arguing about money um, mm. can be really important. I can see how that's really reflective currently as well with the whole sort of coronavirus situation so you know there's an em there's an element of empathy right and understanding the you know other side and, and being genuine in that empathy rather than yeah. simply going straight to numbers which I think is what a lot of students who you know when I've sat in on um you know commercial commercial sort of negotiation competitions and judges yep. and things like that it's always straight to price or straight to numbers really um, absolutely which can, which can often get you off on the wrong foot is that right yeah and I think you know I think particularly now with the coronavirus and I'm not sure I assume it's the same problem in the UK um, mm -hmm. one of the big areas that's going to cause a lot of problems is around the area of rental payments mm -hmm. um, you know we're seeing that from from residential tenancies where you know people are losing their income they can't pay um, retail tenancies you know you've got shops that have closed down can't bring in revenue and and commercial businesses and what's fascinating is I see all of these articles you know either it's written 100% from the perspective of the poor tenants who can't afford to pay um, mm. and they're going well this is outrageous the landlords need to give us relief and somebody needs to do something or it's written purely from the landlord's perspective going what are you saying we've still got mortgages to pay um, mm. we need to be able to pay the mortgage off. So, hey, tenants, we've got a contract, you pay your rent. And, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of space for helping parties in those situations negotiate because ultimately there's going to have to be some sharing of the pain. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of it is about parties feeling heard. Um, you know, even if it doesn't change the result, the fact that somebody in that negotiation process actually feels that the other person has listened to them is going to help build that flexibility in the negotiation itself. And I think there's been another real big change as well in light of everything that's going on is, is the shift to the digital space. Obviously, with everyone working from home, um, you know, the traditional setting of the boardroom or whatever to, to mm. negotiate in person is obviously having to give way to this digital counterpart of things like Skype and things like Zoom. Um, mm. I would guess that your approach to negotiation would, would probably differ, am I right, in, in that digital sphere compared to going there in person and reading body language and all those sorts of things? 
Yeah. Well, of course, you know, once you move out of the face-to-face -face environment, you lose a lot of those um, nonverbal cues that we get. Mm -hmm. And look, it's interesting. I've been, you know, looking at a lot of the research around the difference between face-to-face -face negotiation and online. Um, you know, there's mixed views about how much it impacts, mm -hmm. but I think one of the big areas to still make sure that you spend time on is that rapport building at the start of the negotiation. Um, you know, once again, actually taking the time to understand the other side, to get to know them a little bit, to build that relationship is still really important. Um, mm -hmm. Equally, you know, there are some real benefits to slowing down the process because, you know, often the negotiation is, um, you know, particularly in a legal context, a lot of the negotiations are done without ever speaking to the other side. It's all done on email. Mm. Um, and there's some benefits to that in that it gets gives you a chance to slow down, to actually really reflect and think about what you're going to say. Um, so there's less likelihood that you will put something down that you then regret later. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot more scope for misinterpretation of what's being said. Um, and, you know, particularly where you're in a negotiation in a dispute context, um, we're almost psychologically primed that the person that we're negotiating with, we will assume that they mean something negative mm. just because we're in a dispute with them, even if they had the best intentions in the world. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was negotiating in that team environment. Um, so a really common testing metric for a lot of candidates now is through these assessment centers where they're asked to negotiate against another side on a brief. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, once you enter practice, it's very rare that it's a one-on-one -on -one negotiation. You're, you're, you're acting on behalf of parties. Um, you know, the client might be in the room with you. So when it comes to negotiating in that group context and that team environment, um, what's your key tips for making sure that everyone's on the same page and that um, yeah. you know one person in a group can't undermine the, the entire position? Well, I think there's there's two elements to this. So one is within the the sort of client lawyer divide, um, mm -hmm. and one is within the legal team itself. So I might touch on the second of those first, actually, um, and this is particularly relevant for junior lawyers because I think often when you go into a negotiation meeting, it might be that you as the junior lawyer have done a lot of the preparation work. You're really across the documents. You're really across all the information that's going to be discussed at that mediation and possibly a little bit more across some of the, the real detail than the partner or the, the senior person that's going into that meeting. Mm. Um, so it's actually really important when you are going in with a couple of you from the firm to discuss upfront how you will deal with things. So for example, if I'm the junior lawyer, I might say to the partner, look, you know, if I notice something where I think there's a point that I could raise, or if mm. you've said something wrong, how would you like me to deal with that? You know, do you want me to pass you a note? Do you want me to kick you under the table? Do you want me to just interrupt? Or do you want me to just shut my mouth and sit there and just let it go, go through? Um, mm. and, and actually thinking about the fact that these things could happen beforehand and having a plan in place, I think is really important. In terms of the lawyer-client teaming within the negotiation, um, once again, I think it's really important for lawyers to spend time understanding their client from a broader perspective than just this negotiation. 
And I say that from the perspective that if we have a really narrow understanding of what the client wants, and often clients will come and they won't necessarily think it's important to give you a broad perspective of their business. It's like, here's my problem. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to fix. Mm. But that limits the creativity and the value that you can create in the negotiation itself. So I always talk about, you know, as the lawyer, you need to understand the party's interests. You know, when I talk about interests in a negotiation um, context, it's, you know, what are their goals? What are their hopes? What are their concerns? Um, you know, what are they really trying to achieve as an end result in their business? And having a clearer understanding of that rather than just what do they want from this particular negotiation, they might come and they say, we want this amount of damages or we want to get the contract cancelled. Um, mm. Digging down to say why, what does that give you? Um, how will that help your business and what's important about that? Understanding that why question really helps you then to look at, well, what can we get to in the negotiation? Because if they were going to get what they asked for in the negotiation already, um, mm. they would have got it. There would have been agreement. Mm. So there's going to have to be some flexibility and knowing exactly what the outcome is that they're looking for in a sort of deeper level um, will help you get there. So so understanding that from the client's perspective and what's what's interesting, particularly in the, in the larger kinds of deals that you do is you might be negotiating with someone from the client um, who actually doesn't understand that why themselves you know they're mm. in a role in the in the organization where they've been told go and do this um, they themselves may be really struggling to go well why is this so important um, so mm. trying to dig a little bit deeper into that is important mm. And we talked a little bit there about that end outcome and that end result that parties are working towards mm. um, and presuming that things might go wrong. Um, the idea of walking away from a negotiation or even being able to say no to the other side. Yeah. Um, what's your kind of advice for how and, and when you do that in a, in a, in a negotiation? Um, and even if that might not be an option in certain circumstances, what's your approach to kind of making sure that you can still employ that tactic when you can? Yeah. So walking away, you know, if, if I dig down and, and when I do training around negotiation, I um, start as a fundamental premise with the seven elements of negotiation from Harvard. Mm -hmm. um, and anyone who's interested in um, understanding that, um, getting to yes is sort of the foundational book around that space. Um, but one of the seven elements of negotiation is knowing your alternatives in a negotiation. So if you aren't going to get to a settlement, what will you do to meet your own needs and concerns and interests? Hmm. So if I have a clear picture in the negotiation about what it's going to mean when I don't get to an agreement, that gives me a sort of line in the sand, if you like. If I get something better than that in the negotiation, then I, I do a deal. But if they're not putting something on the table that's at least as good, in terms of meeting my needs, um, maybe not financially, but overall needs, then mm -hmm. I should actually walk away from that deal. And you know, once again, when we talk about, you know, a lot of my, my work is commercial mediation, a lot of my work in private session with parties is actually helping them explore um, what is it going to mean for you if we don't settle this dispute, looking mm -hmm. at, you know, things like, well, what are your chances of success in court? If you win, what does that look like financially? Uh, what does it look like in terms of time lost in the business? Um, what does it look like in relationship damage? If you lose, same questions. Um, really giving you a picture of 
when to walk away. And I think that concept of what do you do when walking away is not an option. Mm. Um, you know, this is really the challenge because how strong your best alternatives are gives you power in the negotiation. So I think it's it's probably fair to say that there is almost never a time when there is not some alternative. Mm -hmm. It just might be that that alternative is really rubbish. Um, yeah. And ultimately, as long as you, you know, there are tactics and techniques that you can use to get a better outcome. But if the situation is, is pretty poor and your alternatives are very bad, then getting a bad outcome in the negotiation may still be better for you than um, walking away. So talking about all these skills that we've mentioned in this episode, then I'm sure that there will be people of all different types of, you know, comfortability with negotiation, different kinds of levels of seniority. Um, and as we've kind of hinted at, there's all these different roles to play in that, in that setting when it comes yeah. to being that person who knows the details, being the person who, who leads the negotiation and so on. Um, but for those people who are kind of looking to get better at negotiation and trying to practice it and develop it as a skill, um, what's your advice to for, for people to do that? I know we've talked a little bit about these kind of meeting groups and so on. Yeah. Uh, but what's the best way to, to practice negotiation, get a, a feel for it firsthand? Well, the good news about negotiation is that we practice it every day. Mm. So every time you're negotiating with your flatmate about who's going to do the dishes or, you know, <laughs> how you're going to split the rent or where you're going to go. I'd say where you're going to go on holidays, but that's not happening for a while. Um, <laughs> every time we negotiate, the, the principles there are the same as when we are negotiating in a legal context or a business context. So there's a couple of things. One is um, do a bit of work around understanding how to negotiate and mm -hmm. actually getting a, a sort of understanding of some of the underpinning theory. And there's a whole range of ways that you can do that. Um, for anyone who's interested, I have a series of posts which are all on my LinkedIn profile, which is the A to Z of negotiation. Mm -hmm. um, not quite there at Z yet, but it will be soon. No, I've been reading them through. I've been loving them so far. Great. Um, so, you know, just getting a bit of an understanding and doing a bit of reading. Um, Harvard Program on Negotiation also has some excellent resources. Um, so understanding that, but then I think for anyone trying to improve their skills, the most important thing is to actually be aware when you are negotiating, um, mm. even in some of those smaller situations, and just take the time to reflect. Um, you know, I think just coming out of a negotiation and spending that little bit of time going, what worked well in that negotiation? What was one thing that I did that was helpful in getting to an appropriate result in that negotiation? And what was one thing that I'd do differently if I had my time again? It's two really simple questions um, mm. that will help you just by keeping you aware of this fact um, that you are negotiating and just making some simple choices if you were to go through a really significant structured sort of debrief after each negotiation, it's, it's too daunting, we'll never do it. Um, mm. But those questions are really simple and quick. And also, you know, particularly when, when lawyers are at the early stage of their career and more often might be observing negotiations rather than participating actively, um, ask the same questions. What did you see that you liked? What did it, how did, you know, why did it work well? What did mm -hmm. you see that you go, God, that's not something I want to add into my repertoire. Um, and just paying attention to what you're observing is going to be really helpful. 
Mm. There's some great methods there for reflecting. Um, and one final thing I wanted to ask you as well was, you know, talking about this skill of negotiation, um, it, it's really built up of many other skills kind of bundled into one in a, in a mm. certain scenario, you know, the ability to listen, the ability to communicate. Um, what's your sort of advice for the kind of ancillary skills that people need to develop alongside others in order to be a best negotiator? Yeah, look, I think um, the, the sort of tangible skills really are listening, um, mm. being a really good listener. And I think that's even more of a challenge for us as we move into the online environment, because I don't know about you, but I, I think I find it much more difficult to focus on listening when I'm mm. not face to face with the person um, and asking great questions. Um, you know, knowing how to ask open-ended questions that will encourage the other person to share information, um, being able to sort of reflect back and check that what you've understood them to say is is actually what they intended you to understand. So mm. all of those sort of, you know, reflective listening, um, asking great questions, and I think just an element, you know, a, a kind of mindset of curiosity. Um, actually being curious to learn more about the other person, to get to know them, to find out where they, what their situation is so that you can spot some of those opportunities in the negotiation that might otherwise be hidden. So we touched on it a little bit already about how um, you, know, you kind of pick up these negotiation skills at university or even on the job sometimes. Um, but really going through your career, what's your advice when it comes to continuously learning and trying to I guess, perfect or just get better at um, the kind of tenants and skills of negotiation as your expertise grows? I think the main thing, Harry, is that um, negotiation really is a skill that is a lifelong learning challenge. Um, mm. And, you know, I've done a lot of training work with everyone from graduates through to partners, and it, it really doesn't matter what sort of level somebody has got to and how successful they already are at negotiation. When they take the time to actually go in and do some sort of structured program, there will always be new tips and hints that they get. And what we tend to find is because we're negotiating so regularly, we get into a bit of habit pattern. Mm. Um, and so actually going back from time to time and sitting in going, you know what, I might've been to a course before that doesn't mean I won't benefit because you'll actually take yourself out of that subconscious habit um, way of doing things, raise your awareness again about little things that you might be doing that you can change or improve upon. So I think never stopping learning around negotiation is a really important thing. Well, thanks so much for um, for sharing that, Nicole, and for, for giving some really great insight into the world of negotiation. I'm sure that students and currently practicing lawyers alike will hopefully take away some of your tips um, and employ them next time they go into that meeting um, with a negotiation on the table. Uh, for people who are wanting to read more about your content and find out more about you, where can people go to uh, learn more about what you have to say? There's two places I'm going to suggest. One is uh, my mm -hmm. website, which is www.growingbeyond.com.au. Mm -hmm. um, and the other place is um, go to LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, a lot of my content gets published on LinkedIn rather than on my website. Um, and there's lots and lots of um, things that I've put together about helping people negotiate. So um, I'm a complete negotiation nerd. Um, I absolutely <laughs> love it. I love helping people discover that skill and um, very happy to connect in with people who are keen to learn more in that space. Well, that's very kind of you. And thank you so much for sharing um, some of your knowledge with us today. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure, Harry. Thanks very much for the opportunity to talk to your listeners. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the More From Law podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and want to support the show, please share it with your network and leave a review on the iTunes store. It's really appreciated. If you want to stay up to date on the show, follow and subscribe to the More From Law podcast on your podcast platform of choice, or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at the profile Harry Clark Law. See you in the next episode.